Hey, welcome back. My name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Welcome to my podcast. This is part two, part two of uh, this podcast. And let me tell you, I just found out the title of part one and part two is going to be Spermageddon. Part one and part two. And uh, <laughs> years ago, you know, I used to store files in my computer and I would just give them silly names and funny names. Um because that's just how I remember things. I just have silly names. Uh, it's just my sense of humor, because sometimes you're doing stuff that's so heavy and so crazy. Um, you got to try, try and laugh and laugh a little bit. So this is not clickbait. <laughs> this is real. This is research. This is science. This is, um, this is medical, uh, medical care. That's what I'm about. And that's what this podcast is. Everything I'm going to say to you on the last podcast and on today's is cited. Very few podcasts out there on, sci- on on medicine are cited. I cite my material. I don't do that because um, I think it looks fancy because sometimes you'll have that. People just load citations. You ever do that? If you're a doctor or a scientist and you start reading something and you see their citations and you look up the citation, it has absolutely nothing to do with what they said or the citation doesn't really work. It's like, what were they citing? I can't find that citation. It's junk. It's a junk citation. Everything I say is cited and relative to what I'm saying. I really care about this, and I care about my patients. I care about what I do. I love what I do. I am a very passionate doctor about what I do. So when I tell you something is what I say, you know that's a great way of wording. When I relate to data that I think you should make important life decisions on, I cite it because it's an important decision, and you're making it, and it needs to be an educated decision. And my citation should just be one of many. We're talking about fertility and conceiving, and that is so important. And you don't know how important it is until you are having problems with conceiving. There is nothing like that. I have met so many patients in my career told they will never have children. And I know one of you, I know you're watching it. I know, I know, I see you. You matter to me. I remember you coming to my office and telling me you, you were told you could never have a baby. And, uh, you know, for the woman who told me that she would never conceive and it was just her prolactin was elevated that no one ever tested. We figured it out. We fixed it. To the guy who was told, you know, he has a sperm count at zero. I'll never have a baby. And you're a dad now. This is what I do. This is why I love what I do. Those patients and many others had to trust me. And I didn't do it blindly with them. I didn't do it blindly. I didn't just grab you and say, "Ah, just take this pill, you're good. I ran your labs, I sat down with you, and I walked you through how it's going to be better. I walked you through what I'm going to expect. And I told you if it's wrong, if I'm wrong, this is what I'm going to do next. And I worked with you. We sat through it together. This is what your doctor is supposed to do. Your doctor is supposed to sit down with you and work through these things with you. That's our job. So talking about fertility is important. Talking about fertility is more than just um, a numbers game. Some doctors, it is a numbers game. This is where they make their numbers. You know, today I was talking to a friend of mine, and he went through uh, assisted reproductive therapy years ago, and um, 
you know, he had to do in vitro with his wife. And uh, he was at an appointment with the doctor. And the doctor started talking to me, giving this whole presentation. And, and my friend's like, hey, doc, you told me this a month ago. We've already done this. Are you even looking at my chart? <laughs> How many of you out there have had that happen at your fertility centers? Some fertility centers are wonderful and they're a gift to us. Some of them are a business that is meant to run you through and run your credit card along with it. And that is a fact. And you know it. Many of you know this is a fact. What I'm trying to do different here is I'm trying to empower you with education and information. Okay? So, part two of Spermageddon. <laughs> What's that name? Oh, I hope I don't regret that someday. <laughs> my fault how do we treat people who are exposed to environmental disrupted compounds disrupting compounds edcs such as bpas and phthalates how do we help restore their fertility what's out there what do we do how do we approach it how do we care for them this is part two this is what we were discussing in part one so just in case you're like me and you just jump in the middle of the thing see what's going on this is what you're involved in now um Outside of the standard insurance-approved paradigm of treatment, there's many alternatives being approached for how to restore fertility in these people who have environmental uh, exposure that's affecting their fertility. Okay, so the therapies that are out there right now that are that are decent, that are interesting, that are worth looking at. Okay, these are good. They're not covered by insurance, but mm, fertility really isn't covered by insurance anyway. So uh, that's where we are. But it's going to be depuration-based protocols, and the idea with depuration, which is a fancy word, but the idea is that by removing the obstacle, fertility will restore itself. So you know, detoxifying your body from the chemical, from the compound, and that's going to be things like sauna. People are going to talk about um, doing dietary you know, things that'll do that. And the uh, colonics, the colonics is one thing that's out there as well that talk about it. And, and the idea is that these things will enhance the metabolic pathways and reduce your, your, your burden, your body burden of these chemicals and will restore fertility. That's the belief. But, you know, in my experience, uh, there's uh, people out there who do saunas who are getting so mad at me right now. Don't hate me. Don't hate me, please. I have never seen it work. I've never seen sauna, colonics, or a diet. I've seen diet affect fertility, and diet will help with fertility, but not to remove environmentally disruptive compounds, okay? Diet will affect fertility in other ways. This little side piece I'll put in here, just a little snippet of fun. Write this down or type this down and then Google it. Okay, Google what I'm about to say. Gluten... Exorphin B5 stimulates prolactin secretion from opiate receptors located outside the blood-brain barrier. Pause this video and look that up. You back? <laughs> What was that? Is that crazy? When you eat gluten, your prolactin levels are going to go up. So when someone has the elevated level of prolactin, you can't conceive. Think about that. When you're nursing when a woman's nursing it's very difficult to conceive that's that's the way you're protecting your body you shouldn't get pregnant back to back right that's what prolactin's doing so when you conceive you know your prolactin levels should be lower so when you have a baby you're nursing prolactin's higher and it's going to inhibit its birth control so when people eat gluten not always sometimes their prolactin will be elevated and so is it a pituitary tumor releasing prolactin because often Prolactin being secreted unnecessarily can be a tumor. 
Not always. Sometimes it's diet. So diet can affect fertility. Fact. And I'm so happy when that happens. I love it because they get pregnant and there's your baby. You know what I mean? But does it get rid of phthalates and BPAs? Ah, no, no. I wanted to. And I want saunas to get rid of it because if I told all my patients to have a sauna in their house, dude, that'd be great. You know how much relaxation would be happening in this world right now? I would love doing that. Colonics, I'm not a fan, but you know, it's, uh, but there's, I'm not going to touch that one anymore. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> I'm going to walk away from that. So you know, it's, it's not that I don't want these things to work. I want them to work. They don't work. That's all. And if they do, let me know. But I've never seen it work. I've never, and it's not from lack of warning, like I said. So moving forward. So those therapies don't quite work very well. Okay. What if we ignore it? Well, if you do the math, over the past 40 years, sperm counts have gone down by 50%. What's going to happen in the next 30 years is we will have massive amounts of infertility if we keep at this rate. No man will be able to procreate. No man will be able to provide enough sperm without using assisted reproductive therapy. That's what's happening. There is a fertility collapse on our horizon. So depressing. Just do the math. Don't trust me alone because that's not right either. What if I was that one crazy person in the room saying, oh, it's going to be crazy. I'm trying to get you to like my videos more and like watch my things, right? What if I was, a, what if I was an unethical guy doing that, right? It's like shouting fire in a, in a, in a, in a, in a crowded building, man. It's going to cause harm. I'm not here to cause harm. I'm not here to create alarm. I'm not really caring too much about how many people see my videos, to be honest with you. If you look at my videos, there's not a lot of people watching my videos right now. It's not why I'm doing it. My patients watch my videos. Their family watches the videos. Their friends watch the videos. I like them. That's what I'm here. That's why I'm doing this for them. But still, with that said, I don't want you just trusting just me to say that. Look at the studies. Study after study show that sperm counts are going down radically. We know that there's no issue with fertility with a man whose sperm count is from 100 to 50 well, excuse me, 100 million to 50 million, there's no real big issues with fertility at those points. It isn't until it gets below 50 million. We're just going under 50 million now. And these numbers have been watched for even longer, since 1940s, really. It's been dropping in the 1940s. I'm just quoting the 1980s because uh, the most research in the past few years being published is those ones. So let's just use them. But it's been a trend going downward for 40 years. Why the heck do we think it's going to go up? What on earth would cause it to go up? Definitely not colonics. <laughs> that's just, oh, <laughs> sorry. That's a, oh God, someone's getting mad at me about that. We're gonna have fertility collapse in 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 a matter of years, matter of a few decades rather. That's happening, and and true and authentic damage is being done to children. That let's be let's joking aside. Gallows humor, I guess. I should, you know, children are being born with hypospadias, with micropenis, with not properly being developed. This is fact that is not arguable. So, you know, with that said, that, well, this plastic cup's not plastic, it's used paper. It's um, plant I'll keep it. sterols, it's plant starches. 
That's how you get, yeah, plant starches. You can get it. It's not that expensive. It's, it's only a few, it's only like a few dollars more for a stack. Practice what you preach. So can we, oh my glasses. So I've thrown at you a lot of scary stuff here, you know, and I'm telling you this doesn't work, that doesn't work. And, you know, we're going towards this apocalypse, we're running off a cliff. What's out there that looks good? I promise you in the last episode, I'm going to leave you with something good. I'm going to leave you with something good. This is what's good. What is good? Multiple studies show the positive impact antioxidant therapy has on BPA exposure. <laughs> like, here's the, here's the catch, man. This guy's going to sell me some antioxidants. Surprise, I'm not selling you anything. I don't, want, I don't sell antioxidants on the internet. I never will. If this video is circulating 20 years from now, I'm some old dude hanging around laughing, living my life. I promise you, even then, I won't be selling you antioxidants on the internet. That's the worst thing in the world, in my opinion. Someone's going to sit here and say, there's a problem. You have a problem. By the way, here's the product. I'm going to sell you to fix it. That's the worst. That's the worst. Don't listen to those people. That's the worst. Avoid it. Whenever you see that, avoid it. Promise me that. Okay? I'm not selling you any accidents. I'm not. Okay? Promise. I first started learning about this in a um, uh, reproductive endocrinology textbook. <laughs> so I learned about this in, in a reproductive fertility textbook in med school by using antioxidants, you know? And antioxidants, what? That's just supplements on the internet, right? No, I'm not selling them like I said, but there are supplements. With researchers being so universal in their findings against endocrine disrupting compounds, shouldn't there be more established protocols other than antioxidants? And, and, and yes, you're right, there should be. There are so few, there's some, you know? But the ones I'm talking about, they are out there and they are in the literature for physicians and it is the sphere of physicians talk about antioxidants for, for this. It's just not getting executed in the field because it's better to just put you through the, the uh, um, you know, uh, in vitro fertilization pathway or whatever one they want to do. I want to restore your health because <laughs> you're more than just making the baby. The plastics are not just affecting your fertility by now, they're affecting you all over the place. I want you well. So that's why we talk about this. There's not a lot of money in selling antioxidants clinically, I guess. I don't know. Unless I'm trying to pop it off to you on my website, which I am not. But why is it then that since antioxidants, and I'm going to show you the research shortly, research has so much positive research, rather, regarding this. Why isn't it not mainstream then? Why don't people talk about, hey, I'm having a fertility issue. You're the doctor. Doctor runs a urine test. You have BPAs and urine phthalates. Why doesn't your doctor say, let's give you some antioxidants? What is causing us to not do that? Well, most common reason is fear. Fear. Fear is a common reason. Um, the most common reason that we are not approaching fertility through the lens of endocrine disrupting compounds is fear. And it comes back to something called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance often occurs when a person is confronted with information that contradicts his or her beliefs. Okay? And so if your doctor doesn't believe that there's a problem with fertility, they have cognitive dissonance and they're going to deny it's real. If they don't believe in antioxidants, which is remarkable because antioxidants are part of biochemistry, 
that's where it came from. Antioxidants did not originate in alternative medicine, even a little. It started off in biochemistry. That's where it started, and that's where it belongs, that's where it lives. Cognitive dissonance is when they don't believe in it, and they deny it. No one wants to believe that their choices of um, drinking water from a plastic bottle or using skincare lotion or having exterior sprayer come to your house, an a exterminator spray rather your house for scorpions, you know, if you're in Arizona because we have scorpions over here, can lead to a health disaster. No one wants to believe that they're contributing to the demise of humanity. People don't want to think that way. They don't want to think that way. And um, no one wants to believe what they're doing is causing so much harm. And it's easier for someone to pretend something's not real and to avoid the truth rather than admit that they're causing harm. Another reason why it's not being cared for or looked at is because people don't understand the nature of dose and damage from BPAs. You don't have to eat a BPA sandwich to get damage. You just need a tiny bit because it's bioaccumulative. They don't talk about that. They don't think about it. They don't think, you think, there's a, it's just a whisper. Brendan, Brendan, I, I, it's my sandwich was wrapped in saran wrap. Honestly, Brendan, how much plastic in there could get in there to harm me, Brendan? It's not that much, right? You think that way. Well, here it is. What about pollen? <laughs> uh, no doubt you see pollen in the wind around you. You're, there's a yellow dust in the things. You're like, this is a bad, this is Armageddon for your sinuses if you have allergies. But you know as a person with an allergy, say a peanut allergy, you need a tiny bit. A tiny bit. It's no different from this. And I'm citing this, guys. Look at your, look at your, 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 your time mark here, okay? Your timestamp, and look in the studies, okay? Because I cite this. You don't need a lot of BPAs to cause serious damage. Sure. I don't want too much belly either. Oh, like, God damn it. Ugh. The other thing is that there's an additive effect that happens with these endocrine disrupting compounds. You start combining several ones together, you're going to get an additive effect that no one even understands. There's still not a lot of research on it, but the research that is done on it shows that it is way worse way worse when you combine them together the additive cumulative effect is way worse another reason why it's not being treated because that's what we're still talking about here is people just want to stick their heads in the sands and avoid it and ignore it they just want to say there's nothing to see here nothing to worry about but meanwhile here you are and you want to be a mom you want to be a dad you wonder why your child was born with that anomaly This is not the time to stick our heads in the sand anymore. What holds us back? What holds us back from treating this? People being contrarian get clicks, get views, get published. You know, there's a belief noted by Fish at all uh, that reported the increased incidence of hypospadias is not real. This guy published research saying, yeah, hypospadias is not happening. This is not real. And then you have, you know, a bigger volume of research saying, actually, it is. There's always the people saying contrarian things because that's how they're going to get their 
thing up. That's how they're going to be popular. The internet's full of this crap. It's not helping people. It's not helping the person who can't conceive. It's not helping the person who wants to start their family or who's suffering from this. And that, you know that. That's not just in medicine, man. That's everywhere. It's always that one person that's going to benefit from being contrarian. And, and they want to be contrarian because they get a benefit from it. They're going to be getting clicks or views or maybe they're going to be selling you their, their special magic juice on the internet. I'm not selling you internet juice, I promise. <laughs> um, there's also people that believe that we should not be worried about our sperm count because, you know, uh, we still don't have a lot of infertility issues that are really obvious. That, that, that it's not really a big thing because remember what I started episode one on fertility rate is going down but infertility is going up at the same time they're saying yeah this isn't bad we're fine where we are they think you could conceive at a sperm count of 50 million the thing is when they write that and again look at the timestamp. look at the studies here okay they write these studies that this biovariability of sperm it's fine that it's low like this this is fine this is not a concern they're not taking into account that the sperm count has been going down for 40 to 50 years, obviously, and that there's nothing to stop it from continuing to go downward. They're still arguing that 50 million is a good number for conception, and they're not lying. They're just not being wholly honest. This is another reason why we're not treating it, because there's a lot of garbage in the, in the sphere of fertility, a lot of garbage. The thing is, there's always going to be voices of inaction, there's always going to be voices for doubt. There's always going to be people trying to monopolize and, and to monetize and to take advantage of you. And I'm going to tell you this straight and true. There's a fact in medicine that has bothered me and, and another reason why I do these podcasts. The more desperate you are, the more you are easy to be preyed upon. The more insecure you are and, and, and desperate you are, the more money that could be pulled out of you. And I want to cry with this. My, one of my best friends brought his wife to Arizona. She had uh, stage four ovarian cancer. And uh, beautiful woman, lovely, lovely. I just, he was, uh, I grew up with him, I love him. And she came here because there's you know, alternative cancer therapy clinics in our valley. I remember she went to this one clinic and I knew the doctor that owned it. Um, and he saw her and he talked to her for an hour. He gave her an IV, a micronutrient IV, and charged them a thousand dollars. I was like uh, eight or nine years ago, so nowadays it'd be two thousand dollars probably. And uh, I requested the records to see what the hell he gave her. And that IV was—I could make that IV for fifty or sixty bucks. Why did she spend that money? Why did her? Why did they sell their home? And why do they do that? Why do people go into debt to have in vitro fertilization done? They mortgage their home. Because it's we're desperate. And it's playing around with that desperation. That's what the industry is. And you are you are vulnerable and it's easy to take advantage of that. 
That's so damn unethical and wrong. Imagine they're surprised when you take antioxidants and your sperm count comes back to normal. Imagine. Imagine you're that one person that watched my thing and said, gluten? What? They take gluten out of your diet and all of a sudden prolactin goes down and you, you ovulate and now you have a baby. Mm, surprise. How much did that cost you? Not as much as in vitro fertilization did, did it? Mm-mm, not at all. I'm not saying that in vitro fertilization is evil. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. There's nothing wrong with the therapy, you guys. It's not the therapy. If I'm a, a, a mechanic and I'm using a wrench, I use the wrench when I need the wrench. But if I'm billing you a lot of money to use the wrench and I'm going to start using the wrench on every single damn thing in front of me, I'm now I'm using my wrench to hammer in nails. That's what we do with it. You know, It's the same damn thing for fertility because it's profitable to use that tool, but not ethical. So there are some times when you need in vitro fertilization. I know it, and I agree with it when those times come. Sometimes you need uh, ICSI, which is intracellular sperm uh, injection, where you're basically taking the sperm and injecting it into the egg. You need it. There's sometimes you need it. Valid. But there's so many times that we don't know. It's going under the radar. Just think about that. Favorite subject to talk about. Um, what do we do? What do I do? That's a good one. What do I do? So, as I mentioned in the first episode, I'm going to mention again now, circling back here, acting through androgen receptors, androgen and estrogen receptors, BPA triggers oxidative stress in vulnerable reproductive tissues, primarily through CERT1 pathways, okay? I said cert one because it's kind of nerdy because my nerdy guys out there watch this, nerdy people out there, women and men, whatever people are watching this, they go like, he read his stuff there. So we know BPAs can be triggering oxidative damage to sensitive reproductive tissue, okay? Antioxidants, let's talk about them for men, okay? BPA triggers a reduction in epididymal, epididymal sperm motility and sperm count. BPA exposure also decreases superoxide dismutase catalase glutathione reductase, and glutathione peroxidase. BPA also increases hydrogen peroxide and lipid peroxidation. That's all oxidative damage from BPA, okay? Giving people oral vitamin E protects against epididymal sperm damage attributed to BPA exposure. CoQ10 reduced BPA-induced oxidative stress by scavenging reactive oxygen species and free radicals. CoQ10 restored mitochondrial function. It decreased meiotic DNA double-strand breaks of BPA-treated animals in animal studies. So we know this works in these animal studies. Is it bad to use an animal study to talk about how to treat a human? If I'm using a drug, sure. If I'm talking about something over-the-counter like CoQ10, not really. I'm just saying CoQ10 does this in animals. What would it do for us? Is it bad to try it? What's the side effects of taking CoQ10 at normal dosing, which is like two to three or maybe 400 milligrams, I don't know, somewhere in that neighborhood? Nothing. That's why it's available over the counter. We also know, as I mentioned yesterday in the last podcast, was that you know BPA causes a constriction of the seminiferous tubules. We know that CoQ10 counteracts that. 
What about alpha lipoic acid? That's another great antioxidant. I'm a big fan of that one. Alpha lipoic acid uh, reduces testicular mitochondrial oxidative stress caused by chronic BPA exposure. Alpha lipoic acid restores the damaged mitochondrial enzymes, succinate dehydrogenase, malate dehydrogenase, and nisocitrate dehydrogenase, monoamine oxidase, and NADH dehydrogenase. All of that. That's all from alpha lipoic acid affecting that biochemical pathway inside the mitochondria. Alpha-lipoic acid also increases glutathione reductase, peroxidase, and superoxide dismutase and catalase. So again, we're restoring the antioxidant capacity of the cells. We're reducing the reactive oxygen species. We're restoring function with this. Over-the-counter supplement. I'm not selling it. You can buy it. I'll go over that. And that's another thing. Hey, um, vitamins are not drugs. <laughs> the, the FDA oversees the drug industry. Say I write you a prescription for amoxicillin or something, right? Amoxicillin, you know, I write you a prescription and you pick it up in Timbuktu or you pick it up in, you know, Kennebunk Port Main. I write you for the dose. The dose is the same. That capsule, say I write you for something like, you know, whatever, it's 50 milligrams of X in that capsule. It's the same in any part of the country because the FDA is overseeing manufacturing and distribution. It is guaranteed to be that strength of potency within 10%. And if it isn't, they get pulled from the market and they get censured. Good stuff. Everyone needs to know the FDA has a, serves a purpose that's good and we like them for it. Some stuff we wish they did better. I hear people get upset about some things. I don't know. When it comes to vitamins, I personally think it's not fair because there's no oversight. <laughs> you could buy... CoQ10, 100 milligrams on the bottle, and it's only 80 milligrams. There's no great oversight in the vitamin industry to verify like the FDA does for pharmaceuticals. None. So it's a buyer beware market. Uh, GMP is a good way of figuring out what to take. You know, GMP is a good way of figuring that out. Talk to your doctor. You know, I talk to my patients about different brands. I have actually sent samples into a lab. I use ARL Labs. I think it's in uh, um, Texas we send it to. And they test batches. So I'll send them a, a handful of these pills and say, what's the potency of these guys? Is it really 100% of what they say on the bottle? I do that for my patients. I believe in that. It's like 120 bucks to do the test. It's worth the money spent. Maybe a little bit more for some things. You know, still, worth the money. A lot cheaper than in vitro fertilization, right? So we know alpha-lipoic acid is beneficial as well. Selenium has been shown to uh, uh, treat PPA-induced testicular damage. Selenium, that's a, a, an element, okay? This is not even right. It's an element, <laughs> mineral, okay? BPA exposure in this study that I'm going to be citing here. Selenium supplementation improved antioxidant activity, genetic changes, and restoration of testicular tissue nearly as good as it was in control. In other words, these studies show that testicles that were damaged so severely were restored nearly too good as new with just selenium. And again, I'm citing this in the timestamp. Please look into that. Selenium. Another one is going to be using, like, say, ascorbic acid, vitamin C. Um, using ascorbic acid in cases of idiopathic, you know, oligospermia, where there's no sperm count, sperm count's very low. Using uh, uh, vitamin C dosing, you're getting 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C twice a day for two months. You saw an improvement in uh, count. The count went up, the morphology improved, and the motility improved significantly. Um, the sperm count went up, it doubled 
the morphology uh, went from 43% to 66%. Motility went from 31% to 60%. That's in just two months of uh, 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C two times a day. And uh, please check this timestamp and, and look at the study that's in there. That's in the Journal of Medicinal Food that published that one. Um, there's not enough research in antioxidants and women's fertility. Not nearly enough. I know that. I've been looking for it. I think there were some studies I read where the women who were writing it were like, they were just writing the study. They were in their notes in there. They were saying, you know, just there's not a lot of studies in this area for us to even start building from. There isn't. Not a lot out there. But there needs to be more. So I'm going to cite a couple here. Vitamin D3 with female fertility. Vitamin D3 modulates the toxic effects of BPA uh, on oxidative stress uh, in ovarian glandulosa cells. D3 prevented BPA-induced ovarian mitochondrial DNA deletion. BPA-exposed women statistically have lower levels of vitamin D3. So again, check the timestamp. Look at the studies associated with that. And then alpha-lopoic acid and alpha-tocopherol uh, for women as well has been shown to be very beneficial, again, for reducing the oxidative damage done to tissue and, and restoring fertility uh, in those cases. My takeaway is this. There is definitely a rise in infertility that is associated with endocrine-disrupting compounds. A lot of this infertility over time has been masked by a healthy decline in the fertility rate due to the changes in our society. Endocrine-disrupting compounds are affecting the reproductive health of parents. This damage is often passed over to their children as well. While avoidance is the primary tool used nowadays for environmental disrupting compounds, we know antioxidants is truly effective and helpful. It's still not enough. We still need more research into this topic. I hope this was helpful. I hope I'm leaving on a good note for you. As always, you know, please like, subscribe, and share. If this is something that's beneficial, I will use this you know, feedback from you is to build more of this material. Keep putting it out there. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. Take care.